0: Booster is excited to support DIA Schools Collaborative on furthering the missions of our respective organizations through Follow to Lead podcast and other DIA programming. Visit choosebooster.com for details on Booster's school fundraising events, technology, and customized spirit gear. Booster can help your Catholic school meet and exceed its fundraising goals. Learn more today. Welcome to Follow to Lead,
1: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen, teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice, calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty and goodness only you can offer, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Uh, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God
2: in order to lead others to him. I'm Kyle Petrantonio, your co-host. And I'm Father Randy Sly. And today we are wrapping up our series based on the presentation from 2005, made by Archbishop Michael Miller, the secretary then, of the Congregation of Catholic Education called The Holy See's Teaching on Catholic Schools. And in this series, we've been focusing on the five essential marks of Catholic education as outlined in the document, Hitchhiking on the Four Ecclesial Marks of the Church from the Creed. Archbishop Miller identified five scholastic marks that make a school essentially Catholic. They are inspired by a supernatural vision founded on a Christian Anthropology, animated by communion and community, imbued by a Catholic worldview and sustained by a witness of teaching. For those who would be interested in obtaining a copy of this document, we have a special edition of it available on our website at diaschools.org. And for this wrap-up edition, we're pleased to have returning uh, to the program the Most Reverend Thomas Daly, Bishop of the Diocese of Spokane. And Bishop Daly was ordained a priest in 1987. In addition to parish ministry, he also served for several years as a teacher and later as president of Marin Catholic High School. He was ordained to the Episcopacy in 2011 as auxiliary bishop for the Diocese of San Jose and installed as bishop for the Diocese of Spokane in 2015. For the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, he currently is the chairman of the Committee on Catholic Education. He also serves on the Committee of Evangelization and Catechesis, the Subcommittee on Catholic Home Missions, of the Committee for National Collections, the Subcommittee on Native American Affairs, of the Committee on Cultural Density in the Church, or Diversity, rather, in the Church, and as a consultant to the Committee on Religious Liberty. We are so honored that he also serves as uh, a member of the advisory board for the Duke and Altam Schools Collaborative. Bishop, welcome back to Follow to Lead.
3: Thank you, Father. Um, just a great uh, reflection on Archbishop Miller's document has a certain timelessness to it. It, it's, it provided, I think, a focus. And from my, um, my years, nearly, I was 19 years at Marin Catholic, began as a teacher, uh, was sent on for graduate school and education, um continued teaching In the eight years i spent as, as president um the document uh really i think is come into its own in this discovery actually um uh it began i think in 05 but so much of it is, is is sound is essential and is that guiding um, um i would say blueprint for our schools um you know just taking that the first mark of being inspired by a supernatural vision. Um, My experience in schools uh, has been, um, you know, there was a clarity in purpose, a diocese or religious or a parish founded a school, why? Ultimately for the salvation of souls. Somehow I think in the professionalization of schools and maybe the upheaval of the late 60s and 70s as many religious orders just kind of came apart at the seams. we we were doing schools without really that reflection, so they became, at best, at times, depending upon where they were, uh, you know, a public school with with the religious scaffolding, as as a, a phrase that's used. Mm-hmm. But when we begin with that first mark, inspired by supernatural vision, um, it's the fact that we are called beloved sons and daughters of God, that we are created in God's image and likeness, and that we are to help our young people become good citizens of the world by loving God and our neighbor. Now that's something we could all relate to. The challenge, of course, is um, where that is not focus, is that where that doesn't become a purpose. Where, you know, I was in a, Marine Catholics in a middle and upper middle class community. And in that type of community, you have to really be on your game because um, there are demanding parents. But I found the majority of parents uh, believe that the school uh, was important for the faith dimension, but we had to help them see. I used to say, perhaps I said it in the earlier shows. Um, our job is to uh, get your kid into heaven, but we better get that kid into a good college before that, right? And I that's that's part of it. So I think that just uh, that one mark um, is so essential that the schools are places of faith, and as you know, Peter's letter, the you know, the goal of faith is salvation.
1: Bishop, it's great to have you as a, a return guest on Follow to Lead. Uh, you were last with us a little over two years ago, soon after your election as chair right. of the USCCB's Committee on Catholic Education. We'd love to get an update as you've been in this role yes. now and canvass the country some and kind of what do you see happening of late with Catholic K-12 education
3: in the U.S.? I think that's a great question. Um, in fact, in the bishops working closely with Mary Pat Donna, who's a tremendous uh, resource, a woman of great faith, um, uh, track record of turning, helping along with the priest, Father Jim Stack, a school around. It's a great blessing to, to, to work with her. Um, and the area my focus is really, as chair, has been, I focused on the, the K-12. through 12. I've asked a bishop Uh, Bill Johansson of the Diocese of Des Moines, who taught college at Loris to be my bishop point man for higher education. Mm -hmm. He was a a philosophy professor. That's helpful. But I've seen, you know, the big talk was, and, uh, you know, it was all all our problems were going to be solved with a change in governance structure. And it was to move things out of the context of a parish, out of a diocese. That's not that's not the issue. The fundamental things I have found in just my, I'm in year two of a three-year term, um, is that as, as people in this country move more and more in a secular direction, um, and, and there's not that awareness of that supernatural vision of a Christian anthropology, uh, we have to be very clear what our schools are. Um, so many schools, sadly, um, just drift along and, um, In that drifting, I have found you do more harm than good because people send their kids and then they don't receive receive that experience of growing in grace and wisdom in the context of faith. I think there are many good things that are happening in our schools, but we also have to be very much aware that, um, for example, i use this whole thing of woke. Remember, you know, uh, we've had to address the people who've embraced these diversity equity and inclusion programs which are nothing but really a public school program thrown into a catholic school context i had a meeting with uh, a head of a, re- a religious order sponsored school and what they were offering was essentially what you'd find in a public school and i said the foundation just dealing with this one timely issue the foundation of the catholic school response has to be we're beloved sons and daughters of god we're created in His image and likeness if we do that there is no room for prejudice and racism. But when we start using programs and language that we find, so that's, I think, what have I found? I found too many schools um, going down that path. Uh, When they separate from that Christian anthropology, that's when there's problems. The other thing is the gender issue. Um, That's a huge issue that uh, sadly we see in Catholic higher education and Catholic healthcare um, a capitulation, and I think most of the Catholic elementary schools in the country have have been pretty clear on that, and documents that have come out, for example, outstanding document from Bishop Burbage in Arlington, Archbishop Lesticki in Milwaukee, just two of the ones we, we were able to take from their documents with their permission and formulate our program, but there is, um, I think, leadership is so crucial here. Um, if the leadership is afraid Or weak, or even agree with this, then we have a disaster on our hands. And sadly, I've seen that. Now, again, I think the picture is very promising, but I'll use this image. This is a time in the church when we are basically mending the nets to use when Jesus and the apostles. Right. But we have to be very clear, and I've used this example before. At one end, we have people mending the nets. At the end of the boat, we have people cutting the nets. And because they are not with the church, and we need to, that needs to be called out. And um, because we are talking fundamentally about the f- salvation of souls. Now, you could be academically rigorous, have a strong extracurricular program, and still lead people to Jesus Christ. It's mm-hmm. not either or. And I have to, we have to be very careful, you know, a, a watered down, it's all about social justice, Catholic school, or a hyper pious. Pietistic school that has no concept that we have to go out into the world and bring Christ. I've often said too is the problem isn't the church in the world; it's the world in the church.
2: Mm -hmm. Bishop, one of the things that that I'm picking up again is something that that we see and and talked about even in our series, and that is that probably one of the most critical marks is to be founded on a Christian anthropology, Mm -hmm. and. This is not just for us to represent a good Christian anthropology as a school to society, but there there seems to be a need to really establish it even more strongly among our leaders and our teachers. Do you have any thoughts on that?
3: Absolutely. I think ultimately you can't give what you don't have. And I have found in a time when I was, um, it's only when I became president and, um, uh, another young man, sadly, who passed away, but was a great person to work with. He was, became principal. That's when we were able to lead the school. If the leaders don't have this focus, then the school will drift away. And um, we've seen too much of that. Um, you know, um, the Catholic school educators have this role uh, of, of a disciple. And, um, and a disciple who, by one's own example helps lead people to Christ. This is, a, I think, um, Bishop Connolly and I were with Mary Pat Donohue last summer in a meeting in uh, Washington. I was speaking at a Catholic university, and Bishop Connolly was talking about one of his priests had gone to his 10-year reunion. Now, this is Lincoln, Nebraska, notorious, solid Catholic education. And this young priest said, it was sad at my 10-year reunion, um, I can't believe how many of my classmates don't go to Mass anymore. Now here you're giving them solid teaching, but what more is needed? I think it is that witness and that genuine sharing of one's faith that is what is needed today. And um, I, I do think that's, that's a very important aspect um, because just giving them the truth is not going to be enough. It has to be a truth that allows young people to question, um, to seek the Lord with a sincere heart. I love that line from the Eucharistic prayer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a school, but a leader has to make sure that this takes place and um, more than anything else gives witness by, by one's own life as a disciple.
1: Bishop Daly, as you were talking about, you know, the leadership piece and just how paramount that is, I I can't agree more um, on that front. One thing, you know, I, I focus, some of my my work in the leadership development space in Catholic schools on on search efforts um, mm-hmm. when a diocese needs a new superintendent or a Catholic high school needs a new president or principal, et cetera. And, and one of the disheartening things I'm seeing more and more of Bishop Daly, particularly those um, high schools that have gone to a governing board. Um, either the diocese has said that the diocesan high schools will, will have a, a governing board with, you know, reserve powers for the ordinary or what have you, or an ordered sponsored school that's, uh, very much their model. But many of these board members are very ill formed. Yes. Um, and w- what's happening is, you know, some of the work I'm doing or, or our team is doing is really we got to start in the first inning with the board on using documents like this, right? Um, About what Catholic education is all about. They have no understanding. Many of them, some of whom are alum of the school and have just gone the way of the world. Um, But, you know, that is a very scary reality. I'm seeing more and more of Um, are these governing boards that have a lot of local control over the Catholic school. Ultimately, a a decision of the of the leader Um, and they're they're in this woke world and they're part of companies and corporations where um, the rainbow flag is is prevalent and pronoun hospitality is part of their culture and they don't see anything wrong with that for the catholic school that they're on the board of and so there really needs my my plea is you know, is for the bishops to to kind of get more involved or be aware of that. I'm not sure how highly sense in tune they are, but it's something that in the trenches over the last three years, doing leadership search, I've been blown away by that. Um, you know, I worked with a board that took their role very seriously. the The vetting to be on the board in terms of faith was highly, highly regarded. And, and, and that's really critical because that's, that's the backstop. That's the check and balance, but these boards are drifting. Yes. I think And be, with the, with the drifting of the board, Bishop Daly, the mission is drifting.
3: I, uh, a good example of it was, was San Domenico, which was a school in oh. I th- the <laughs> old school. I think I know. Area. And yep. it probably began with the sisters uh, kind of not being committed numbers diminishing, the board um, not being careful with who was on the board. And then there's, there's always this tipping point. And um, I know there's one of, there was one of the schools run by brothers and um, sadly um, as one of the brothers said, we, um, we uh, now they started by, we led the school. Then we were part of the school. Now we are less a part of the school and we feel that they're tolerating us. Well, basically, you know, another school religious sort of priests known in education, one of the younger priests said, um, we, uh, we lost this school. And I said, No, your your older brothers gave it away. And I think that that's the case with these boards. Uh, my, I had a time when, you know, the board at in Catholic, it, it was, um, there was this emphasis, we have to have a diverse board, we have to have people with money on the board, the best members of the board, in my experience, were members active in their parish. They knew mm-hmm. that there was a chain of command, that ultimately the archbishop was in charge, that there was a pastor. Now, every, uh, you know, as pr- president, these men and women were very competent in their area. They had knowledge of business and finance that I did not. But as one of that great man, Jack Boland and Bob Bass, friends of mine to this day, who were, one was in finance, the other one was advertising, said, Father, your job is to keep reminding us why we do this. We will assist you in this area. But clearly, they, as, as other men and women, were women, women of faith. Now, there's sometimes you're a member on the board who may not be Catholic, but they respect the mission. In fact, sometimes right. I found them to be more respectful of the right. church than sometimes alumni. And uh, so you're right. If you don't watch the board, just like if you don't watch the leadership, the schools will drift. And in fact, they become worse because you get people on board and they confuse young people, they don't give, and it's, it's basically a knockoff product. You know, you, you buy something that's supposed to be durable and it's cheaply made, and yep. when you need it, it falls apart, and I think that's what we're finding. And I, I would never, I remember when the Archdiocese of San Francisco was moving to a, a different corporate structure, capital assets, I think it was real estate, Archbishop Niederauer was clear he said, the schools will remain with the archbishop. Two of the schools, these were four diocesan, two of the schools wanted to go independent. And he, I remember him calling, <laughs> meeting with me and says, you won't let that happen. In other words, we would meet as presidents. And I said, no, we must be linked to the life of the church. And that is the diocese. Now, you have to have competent people. I want to keep going back, competent people. And I believe there are competent, faith-filled men and women who can do this. But it falls upon ultimately the bishop to make sure of this. I'm not a fan of that idea of turning over to a governing board because who's going to watch them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So,
2: I think another factor on this too, Bishop, seems to be uh, the inboarding of teachers. You know, hiring for mission. And mm-hmm. one of the things with a lot of our young teachers, even though you have teachers that may be active in their parish, they may have been formed uh, in a state uh, school, yep. as opposed to like around here, we have Benedictine as one of our feeder schools mm-hmm. for teachers, but we also have uh, state universities that that do this. And of course, they're bringing in some uh, biases or assumptions with them uh, into their, uh, classroom, oh, any thoughts on how to safeguard? And, and I know in the inboarding process is a key part of that.
3: Absolutely. Mary Pat has talked about even her own training. She said, you know, she went into a state school in Maryland, teacher credential. most of those problems, pro, most of these programs are problematic because they are, they've gone on, um, kind of a woke path and it's, it's, um, destructive and um you know then you have to watch connected to this accreditations so if these people are doing the accreditation so it is um it's it's it's, it's absolutely essential it's difficult to get faith-filled teachers and it falls upon the school to do a lot of um in servicing maybe to kind of say no what what you learned here wasn't accurate and this is what we're asking you to do and i know Schools have been very deliberate that. Marine Catholic is very strong on that. And, um, but it's absolutely essential. But we do have a challenge. I mean, we have out there, sometimes it may be the only people we have, and we, you know, we have to work with them. But we have to be very careful. Back again to the point about leaders being very diligent. I know of a school uh, in California that had a, a good religious order affiliation, um, solid lay leadership. But they hired in the last few years um, a president, and um, there was the rainbow flag outside campus ministry, and one of the parents raised it, and uh, the person said, well, the bishop's okay with it. Well, we had to check that to make sure, and, um, but we can't let our guard down. And on uh, the other hand, we can't also pull in ourselves and separate ourselves. We have to be engaged. It's hard work but yeah. we have to be engaged in it
1: yeah none of us has a crystal ball bishop daly but as you kind of have described this context of K12 catholic ed in the US right now looking ahead a decade you know what would be some descriptions
3: of of where you are imagining K12 catholic ed to be i think um there will always there's this concern about finances. And that's why the school choice is so important. Um, bishops have to get behind that. And uh, we have to watch closely. Uh, we, you know, There was one bishop who was complaining about schools being too um, middle class and, uh, or upper middle class. And yet, from what I understand, the bishop did not help when a school choice program was in this particular state. So we have to keep that, the finance. But on the other hand, I think this is a crucial thing. We as bishops and as lay people and as religious must persevere in the bringing of the truths of Jesus Christ to the young as Christ persevered in redeeming their souls. So we have to, in 10 years, it's going to still be difficult, especially in the hostility that we we have. And I'm not looking for a fight, but we have to be clear. And I think that during COVID, people saw the fraudulency that was going on. And... um, And now there's a retreat back to homeschooling. I think there's a need for homeschooling. However, I don't think it's as great as people say it is. I think the parish school, you know, one again, one of the marks of Archbishop Miller, the school animated, he says, by communion in community. And that occurs in the Catholic grade school. And uh, but in 10 years, I think we will finances will still be a challenge. Also, we will probably have uh, a more um, secular culture. And thus, we have to still be very clear. Um, that probably the book by Monsignor Shea, that reflection on mm-hmm. uh, right. uh, from Christendom to Apostolic Age, I believe, is right? Yeah, yep. I think that gives great insights uh, about that. So, I think a phrase that we I, I think is a very important motto: Catholic schools now more than ever they are now more than ever. We may not be fighting a hostile Protestant culture of the 1800s; we're fighting. Uh, a hostile secular culture that has been aided and abetted by poorly formed Catholics or Catholics who are um, partially led by the members of the hierarchy to compromise with the society that we're in. And I, am, I, I don't want to be one of these things where, again, we retreat again and we, we hunker down. No, we have to go out with firm commitment to Christ guided by the Holy Spirit teaching the truth with humility and charity, but we can't back down from this. The schools are absolutely necessary because, I mean, the success of the church, you know, up until the upheaval, I think, of the the late 60s came a lot of times because our commitment was helping young people to grow in grace and wisdom. We still have to be as committed to it.
2: It's interesting, Bishop, that in addition to the five marks, one of the areas that Archbishop Miller touched on, and in fact, it was one of his first points, was the whole area of uh, uh, parental responsibility uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of the education of the child. You know, he said it's the clear teaching of the church, constantly reiterated by the Holy See, that parents are the first educators of their children. And this, again, is under assault today, where the the rhetoric seems to be on many places. uh, It's really... The, the state, the government that yes. takes responsibility for the child, that parents don't have any rights. How, is there a way that Catholic educators can be involved in helping to uh, reinstitute uh, a sense of ownership for the parents?
3: Absolutely. And I think that you succinctly um, captured what uh, is the problem. Uh, the children don't belong to the state. What are we in a communist regime? I think we're talking about these young people. And I think we have to be very clear um, in preaching priests and bishops um, to to the parents to say you have a right as parents, not the state to dictate this, to to care about your children, because that's, again, why we go back to the importance of the salvation of souls we're meant to love God and to serve God and be with God. And um, the state won't do this. In fact, the state does a horrible job of this. Just think of all the, you know, we saw COVID exposed, again, the fraudulency of this. So I think parents need to be, you know, you as parents, what we say, we know from baptism, you're the first of teachers, may they be the best of teachers, but all that you say and do. And I think as the church, we are there uh, guiding them courageously but i think priests and and bishops have to be not afraid i think there's a lot of fear Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fear not to offend there's a lot of fear to fit in there's a lot of fear of being cancelled and um you know be not afraid i think that's what we have to do and teach again with charity um and, and and concern for the poor i think the why behind what we do we've seen you know once you start taking all sorts of government funding we see this in charities programs and healthcare and higher ed, then things, it becomes easy to, to compromise. So I think focusing on the right of parents to be those first teachers and the best of teachers, we have to reiterate that and get them to believe that and help them because it is it, it, it's a great challenge to raise children always, but especially today in the social media age.
1: Bishop Daly, I've been prepping for a couple of of workshops later in in June about Catholic advancement and and enrollment. And in some of my recent research, you know, I'm looking into where numbers are with our Latino brothers and sisters. Um, you know, both as members of our our church in the U.S., um, which is growing quite rapidly, as you know but then we look at you know their numbers in our schools and right now only 4% of uh latin ex school age children are in a in a catholic school in our country um thoughts on how we can improve upon this uh so our schools could do a better job mirroring our church in our country
3: i think there there's a daughter Cherry's sister julie um uh, who is a former visitatrix for the province of saint Elizabeth Seat in the west She's now in in Paris at the the Mother House, but Sister Julie came and spoke to our our parents. She was part of that Notre Dame summer program for pastors. She was assigned into um, St. Vincent's Parish in Phoenix, which had been a kind of a working class parish, a double school. But it shifted from an Anglo community to Latino community, but a working class community. And the school enrollment just plummeted. And different. There had been sentients, and then there were uh, international priests. And basically, she went down there learned enough Spanish and very much got the community to make a shift in attitude. Um, you know, in, in foreign countries, Catholic schools can be seen just for the elite, especially in Latin America and Mexico. Oh, yeah. And the difference, I understand, if you look at the Catholic schools, maybe around the border states of uh, in Texas, let's say in the 40s and 50s, 60s, when the priests were probably Irish guys who came in, and they were sisters, but they worked with those families to say, "No, your kids belong in that school," and consequently, then you had a tradition in those areas where um, Latinos immigrant children saw that there's a place for them in Catholic schools. Yeah, yeah, you have to make a sacrament. I think we lost that because we've had a generation of priests coming in who see, no, these schools. Or when my country where I came from, they were for the wealthy. No, that is not the United States. So I think in the Latino community, we have to distinguish between the immigrant community and someone who maybe is of Latino heritage. But it falls upon the bishops to make sure that the priests who have been international um, see that, no, that's not the case in the United States. These schools are needed. So I remember talking to one priest and he said, I said, why don't the Latino people in this parish use the school? Well, it has to do... There's not enough of the arts. Now, I, if that doesn't seem to be an issue. I think it's just probably, can we afford it? Is there a need for it? Can't the faith be passed along by grandma? Well, no, it can't. You have two worlds here. And I think it depends upon my experience of San Francisco versus San Jose. San Francisco, there was a strong tradition of immigrant children in the schools, whether they were from Mexico originally or Central America, um, Asian culture wasn't the case in Santa Clara County in fact there was a, 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 a not a great representation of those immigrant communities I think it had to do with the priests you know um, and so I think that is an issue but I remember meeting with a man when I was down in a parish in the southern part of my diocese it would be labor intensive as opposed to like wheat farms which are still Anglo communities labor intensive and a man in tears in Spanish, the pastor helped me to understand him, saying my, my son was an altar boy. He served mass. He goes to the public high school. And now in his science class, you, you can't believe in science and faith. And he just was in tears. Had he gone to the Catholic school, I think he would have seen, no, you can be that. So it is, um, again, I put a lot of uh, responsibility on the bishops and priests, as Sister Julie did. She came in, she motivated the community. And got that school back to where it should be. And that's what we need. Because again, what's the alternative? Children leaving the faith. And um, mm-hmm. Latino Catholics are leaving the faith more than Anglos. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that study done about why people leave, the common denominator in that going, going, gone uh, was someone who gave witness to the faith as an adult and a peer who tried to live the faith. Not perfectly, but tried. You see that in the Catholic school, and that's what's needed. Yep.
2: It's interesting, Bishop. Here in Missouri, uh, over the last few years, we've developed what's now called the Missouri Scholars Program, where Mm -hmm. you can designate a portion of your uh, state income tax uh, for private education and determine where it needs to go. It has revolutionized the schools in the diocese, and it's amazing to see what happens when people have opportunity uh to bring their children to catholic schools ironically there's a move now in the state to remove the uh income barriers because it was for low-income families Mm -hmm. now there's a move that everybody should be able to get the missouri you know so you can make you know a half million dollars a year and still send your kids to catholic school which defeats the program completely and uh, because so we see this as a, a a great opportunity, but again, we have to safeguard what we've been given. And I don't know if there's enough initiative, any ideas on how we can really have a groundswell effort to really keep this thing moving forward.
3: Yeah. I, I think um, my experience has been that, especially here in Spokane, um, we have to have, when I go and I see communities, you know, they had one time had, a Catholic school and it closed the, the Northwest experience because of the religious orders were presidents, the attitudes of some of the bishops, it was like, we don't need the schools anymore. That I didn't experience that in California, but I think we, so we have a mindset like a middle and upper middle class. Well, it's always going to be require money, but I worry about a working class community, whether they're immigrant or Anglo um, that that community we should make the opportunity for Catholic education available to them because it was available to them 50, 60 years ago when the religious were in the schools. Right. We don't want the schools to become a nice private school system. So there should be an income, uh, the ability that working class and middle class, because that's the group that I'm afraid gets squeezed out. The poor will be there because it, people sponsor them. The upper classes and wealthy, will have the schools because they have the income. But I think we we do have to make sure that we don't, because I think the public school unions and things like that point their finger. You see what they're doing. They're filling their schools up with rich people and it's affecting our program. No, we have a program with probably a cap, but it can't be just for the poor. It should be for the working class and the middle class who are getting squeezed. And I think we have to work hard on that. And we have to convince, I think, that upper population that can afford schools, that you need to support these programs too. Then we have to of course be careful that in some of the states, I forget one of the states where someone a new governor has come in and wants to change this and take this away because this governor is influenced by the teachers' unions. And uh, that has to be called out um, because you know we we do need um, we do need these schools and we need as many people who support the mission of the school in our schools the need is great yeah
1: bishop Daly. earlier this week uh oklahoma's statewide charter board approved the archdiocese of oklahoma proposal to establish what will be the first catholic charter school in the nation mm-hmm. what are your thoughts
3: i am uh cautious about this because i think in the end charter schools are still public schools and um i would prefer the path of um uh you know vouchers and things like that mm-hmm. um it would be interesting i just think um it it it's okay it may go well in oklahoma but will yeah. it how will it work in new york how mm-hmm. will it work in california how will it work in those areas where there is um the hostility towards matters of religion. So I'm, I'm uh, very careful about it. I just think in the end, we can't forget that charter schools are still public schools.
2: Bishop, I'd like to circle back around to the, uh, the five ecclesial or or the five uh, essential uh, marks of a school. And, you know, we have inspired by supernatural vision founded on a Christian anthropology animated by communion and community imbued by a Catholic worldview and sustained by the witness of teaching, all of which are powerful, powerful, uh, uh, both uh, goals, but also kind of formators to help us to, to move the church forward. One of the questions I've asked every one of my guests in this series is this, is there a mark that needs to be added?
3: Uh, good question. I always am a firm believer And maybe it doesn't need to be a mark, but I often say um, there's a need for humility in what we're doing. And when we're humble, we we depend upon God's providence. Um, I thought there's a connection between humility and gratitude. Uh, Paul, why should we boast all that we have we receive? Gratitude for those who've gone before us and the sacrifices that are made. And then, you know, great, humble, grateful people are generous. And so I don't know if that has to be a mark, but I think we should always keep that in mind, that um, this is an endeavor that's beyond us, and yet we have to be very diligent in our efforts. Uh, we should know that it does begin and end with grace, that kind of a quote of Vincent Paul, grace is necessary to begin and ever more necessary to persevere to the end. And that this is generosity that we are called to to share the good news, uh, to do so in a way that is carrying concern for the poor, but can speak the truth and lead people to truth. So I think five marks is a nice number. I mean, six marks is too much. Seven, maybe we can do that. But I would just (laughs) say maybe um, just know that all of this, all that we do in the name of Jesus Christ has to contain those elements of humility, gratitude, and generosity—that's that's so. That's, that's I think forms good priests when I speak to seminarians, and that's what I would expect our Catholic schools um, to do. I, um, I, we have a lot of selfishness, and um, uh, you know, um, and we talked about how do you teach empathy? And empathy has to be witnessed and experienced very early on, and um, when we we do have that, and it's based upon Christ then I think we avoid these pitfalls that have so divided um, our, our country. I, I think, uh, you know, I've honestly, the Lord, the devil divides, distracts, discourages, and if not stopped, destroys. And think about how uh, much you know good people get discouraged. They see what's going on. Otherwise, good people, this is too hard, then they get distracted. And then uh, it leads to division. You know, the seminarians have, so the bishop always talks about a fractured world, a divided church, and a troubled America. Well, that's true. But yet Christ is the way. And um, I really think that we're called to say what who Christ is in our life. With, you know, with all our with all our challenges, you know, the ascension is a great way for everybody involved in Catholic education to reflect upon the Matthew's gospel. They worship, but they doubt it. So they themselves had struggled following Christ. Mm-hmm. But then what, what keeps us going? Know that I'm with you to the end of the age. And Jesus is with us at the end of the age. And that ultimately should ground us in hope. So maybe not That's another awesome. mark, but maybe a little homily on this. Or something.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, Bishop Daly, I, I see a treatise uh, kind of forming as you were sharing those those thoughts. Um, I love this concept of, of humility kind of being... Uh, an important part of the recipe of our young people going through uh, formation in our Catholic schools. I was just reading a profile of of one of the graduates of the school that I was at for 18 years. And, you know, we're a pre-K 12 school and our kids are there. And, you know, this is a young man that I want our boys to emulate, right? He's a portrait of, of the Holy Spirit prep graduate. And in this profile, he was interviewed. And, you know, he was just So other centric just genuinely caring about his classmates about the younger students in the school he's going on to the naval academy uh and wants to serve our country i mean he 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 is such a reflection of that recipe in fulfillment and um and and uh it just gives me you know great hope that that our schools are producing those types of of people filled with hope, promise, um, but just a, a, a wonderful grace and humility um, that they know um, God is God is in charge and
3: um, and I think it leads
1: a, a great example.
3: I th- you know I used to say when people would say, well, "Why should we go to a diocesan school?" Why can't we go to fill in the blank of a certain religious order known for its prestigious schools? And I said, because we can be excellent without being elite. I don't need to find define my sense of self-worth by the fact that my kid goes to a school that your kid didn't get into. You know, I think that there's that side of that church. We have to watch certain trends in our Catholic school or tendency that uh, talks a nice social justice gospel. I used to say, I'd much rather write a letter of recommendation for a kid to go to college who spent his Sundays after Mass chopping vegetables at the St. Vincent de Paul (laughs) kitchen than the kid who flew down to Honduras, spent a week digging uh, ditches for latrines, surfed for another week, and they all talked about how great it meant for their family in in, uh, Maui that summer. There's a lot of that, I think, and that's where I think that, and I think the humility, I have to say, my education taught by the Daughters of Charity and the De La Salle Christian Brothers, it's that French school of humility. Uh, very much Vincent de Paul, Francis de Sales. Um, and I, I just think I I'm so tired of people tooting their own horn for what they're doing now. Uh, but I, I think that 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 humility, because humility is a strength. And I just had a confirmation this morning and, you know, the great line of Vincent de Paul, the devil does not know humility since he, because he doesn't know humility, he doesn't know how to fight humility. So Mm. we need that um, in a strength. And um, I I just think that we can't forget that.
1: Mm. I love that.
2: That is beautiful. It reminds me of that place in scripture where our Lord talks about the man who sought the higher place, you know, mm-hmm. at the feast and was uh, embarrassed that he had to be invited back to a lower place and mm-hmm. how much better it is for you to seek the lower place and let God take you to a higher place. And uh, Francis Schaefer, who is a, a Protestant sociologist and uh, theologian, used to talk about the fact that when you seek the lower place, God will extrude you or inject you into that higher place. I think it's a beautiful image uh, for when you're talking about humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Bishop well, Daly, as we wrap up, uh, any words of
1: wisdom uh, or inspiration that you'd like to leave our sure. audience with?
3: Just the notion that, number one, the absolute essential uh, role that Catholic education has here in the United States for the salvation of souls and forming our young people. That, yes, it requires sacrifice, and, and, and it should not be just on the backs of the parents sending their kids there. But that is the work of the whole church. On the other hand, there's a responsibility when one has children in Catholic school and family that we're part of the worshiping community, the parish, and that we see ourselves as something greater than that. Um, again, we have to persevere in bringing the truths of Jesus Christ of Jesus Christ to the young as he persevered in the Redeemer in their souls. When we place into that context, how can we do anything other than support our schools and make those schools available to as many seeking the path of Christ as possible?
2: Bishop Daly, thank you so much for being with us. And also, thank you for all you're doing for Catholic education. And uh, what a a stimulating time today to just be able to kind of put the the ties around uh, a very comprehensive discussion on all ways in which uh, the school, in being Catholic, can fulfill the mission that Christ has given us. So, thank you again for being Welcome. with us.
3: Thank you, Father, and thank you, uh, Kyle, very much. God bless. And it's
2: been a been a pleasure, Bishop. And for our audience, if you haven't done so already, please be sure to follow our podcast and to leave a comment to encourage us toward future programming. And uh, to learn more about uh, the Duke and Altam Schools Collaborative, please visit our website at diaschools.org. We'd also like to thank our production assistant, Alex Shire, for assisting in the production of this podcast. And Bishop, would you like to leave us with a blessing? Sure.
3: The Lord be with you. With, with, your your spirit. Spirit. with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let Amen. go in peace.
0: Thanks be, Thanks be to God. be to God. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God, right here on Follow to Lead.